Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, top of the morning to you, and uh, welcome to The Brian Buffini Show. I'm coming to you backstage from a recent success tour stop here in Dallas, Texas, and I am very excited and very honored today to be sharing the mic with a very special guest. Carrie Lorenz was the first female F-14 Tomcat fighter pilot. I think I could just stop right there. Um, I grew up, you know, came to America. The first movie I saw when I came to America, moved to San Diego, was Top Gun. And yes, I thought I was going to be Goose or whatever else, if only they would take an Irishman in. And so to have Carrie here today is phenomenal. She's an incredible speaker. She has a full family life, four great kids and a wonderful husband. She is an inspiring speaker. I just read your book, Fearless Leadership, which is a phenomenal read on leadership, one of the best books I've read in the last couple of years. Carrie, we're so thankful to have you here today. Thanks for flying to Texas to meet us. Yeah, thanks. I'm grateful to be here. So we have so many different things we could do. I want to bounce around a little bit for you, but let's go back to kind of where it all started for you. Growing up as a kid, how does a, a girl from Wisconsin, right? That's where you grew up in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. How does a girl from Wisconsin grow up and become a fighter pilot? How does that happen? <laughs> well, big country, big dreams, and not really a really good path to follow. Mm-hmm. I was really fortunate my dad was a pilot for the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And I have an older brother who's just a year older than me who is also very interested in flying. Right. And so we grew up around it. However, even though I was very interested in doing it and I thought it was something that I wanted to do, there were no visible role models. Mm. There were really no women flying that I could see. And I knew the wasps had flown in the 1940s mm-hmm. and were definite contributors uh, yeah. to our efforts then, but then they went away. Right. So trying to figure out how do you achieve a dream when there's no path forward or nobody who looks like you kind of modeling the way is a bit of a challenge. Now, did your dad encourage you? He did, but he didn't push me in that direction. He always was very quiet and supportive, Mm -hmm. but just to the extent of, hey, if it's something that you want to do, I think it could be a good path. Which is kind of cool, right? There's people have the stereotype of a Marine Corps guy, right? right? And empowering his little girl to be a flyer wouldn't be, that wouldn't fit the mold of most of the movies. No, no. And you, you would think he would be this fierce advocate, but what he did was probably genius. Because as we were growing up, we would have these experiences where he would either take us to an air show and just kind of stand quietly. Sure. And we go, oh, that's really neat. Get or, you exposed to stuff. Yes. Or we would meet friends of his. And we were always kind of on the periphery hearing their conversations and watching the camaraderie. And hands would be flying as the stories got bigger <laughs> and bolder. And you're like, gosh, that's kind of cool for a bunch of old guys, <laughs> yeah, right? right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, that's my dad? Yeah. That's really weird. Neat. So it was very subtle but definitely there. Neat. Now, we're going to jump to the end of the story and then fill in all the gaps. Okay. Right? So there are a series of one obstacles after another, after another, after another that you had to overcome. And I love the line when you share, if somebody says it takes an act of Congress to do something, it took an act of Congress. So you had, had right. to have political pressure. You were, people said you were getting preferential treatment and then you got the absolute opposite of that throughout your career. You know, so many people have a goal they come in contact with an obstacle and they give up. 
Right. You had to go through dozens and dozens and dozens of, of everything across the board. From one hand, you're not feminine enough. From one hand, you're too feminine. You're getting preferential treatment to actually meeting genuine bigotry and, and discrimination. How is it you kept moving forward? But so many people give up when they face obstacles. Right. Well, I think there is an element of this in certainly not only your mindset, but the beliefs that you have on what is possible. I came from what I would consider a supportive background, but a very humble background as well. As we discussed earlier, both of my grandparents from my dad's side were immigrants uh, from Holland and from Hungary. And so I grew up watching them go in every day and do the work, Mm -hmm. the hard work of showing up Mm -hmm. uh, when you're sick, when the hours are long, uh, when it's not fun, when you have nothing. Mm -hmm. You show up in spite of that. And while you're doing that, you still invest in in the relationships. You take care of your family. Mm -hmm. You are just present. So I think there's that underlying ethic, if you will, or that principle of if you say you want something, Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to show up when it's no longer fun. Mm, and, love that. And 80% of, of what you are going to do or what you are going to try to go for or try to achieve is having that ability to work through the stuff that's no longer fun. Right. And that is not easy. It takes grit. Mm-hmm. It takes a belief in yourself and a commitment to understanding that somebody else isn't achieving something greater than you because you are they are better resourced or they're lucky or they have greater opportunities than you have. It's that that person, if you go back to the root of it, had the belief in their ability to write their own story mm. in spite of the obstacles, in spite of the people that are going to tell you no, that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough. How mm. dare you? How dare you think you should be able to do this? And especially for women, that's really hard. Yeah. Because right. it's, oh, look at Miss Bossy Pants. She thinks she's right. all that, right? right? You don't deserve that success. You just, you know, sit there quietly. So I think it's having that thread of, and that, that deeply rooted principle of not being afraid of hard work mm. and that you have to show up. Well, I love your story. And, you know, we were talking about Jamie Nowak, who, Mm -hmm. you know, she's been with our company for 21 years. She was 21 years of age when I met her. And she was a client for nine years, and now she's worked with us for 12. And, you know, I'm like her second dad type deal. And I tell her all the time, you know, the thing that makes her so powerful, she's gone through some really tough things in her life. But she's fully feminine and fully present and fully who she is. And that's what I think is so spectacular Mm -hmm. about your story is you had to thrive in a man's world, in a man's profession, you know, and there's a uniqueness to people who are first. Mm-hmm. I've met a lot of people who are first at something in their life. Neil Armstrong, you name it. A lot of people who are first. It takes a certain type of chops to be able to do that. But that's the magic I see of you is fully feminine, yet fully empowered, fully game, doing your thing. And you didn't like, I'm going to take on the world here. This is my goal. This is my objective. And I'm going to go pursue it. So there's a couple of things that kind of appeal to me right off the bat. First of all, I haven't shared this with you. As a little guy growing up, I was fascinated by the American space program. Mm. And so, you know, the Irish don't have a space program. We never, (laughs) we we tried to put a man on the sun, you know, we went up at night. So Neil Armstrong hadn't made a public appearance in 15 years. And I pursued him. I wrote him personal notes, built a relationship, ultimately got him to do his biography. And uh, we actually have a, a recording that they're actually making a television program of here very soon. But I had him. We had Jim Lovell, mm-hmm. otherwise known as Tom Hanks uh, from Apollo 13. That's right. And Gene Cernan. Gene Cernan was the last man on the moon. And uh, he flew our plane a couple times. 
each one of these guys went down the same path as you. And talking to Jim Lovell, you know, here's the guy with Apollo 13. They make the movie of it and whatever else. And I said to him, you know, was that the scariest thing you've ever been a part of? I mean, the whole world's watching you and whatever else. And he goes, not even close. He goes, landing on a flat top in a jet, landing at night. And then he told a specific story of how one time his lighting package was out. He had no instrumentation. And he actually had to follow. He followed the lights coming from the phosphorus, you know, the kelp that was churned up by the aircraft carrier. I have landed on an aircraft carrier. That improved my prayer life uh, more than anything else I can ever describe. Talk to us a little bit about the whole dynamic. The opening of your book is riveting, where you talk about what it's like to go land on an aircraft carrier when you're flying a jet. Talk us civilians who will never experience that through that process. Yeah, it is a grounding experience like no other that a human could probably go through because it's this combination of you're operating in this perfectly pitch black environment. And if you think about what this would be like, it would be like going and sitting in your office chair, having somebody roll you into a closet, put a couple of blindfolds on, turn off the lights, have them shake the chair, spin you around, and still have to do your job successfully Mm. while you're operating at high rates of speed, coming Mm. aboard at 160 miles an hour with people 18 to 24 inches away from your wingtips. And the challenge in this, and what sometimes people don't understand kind of spatially or conceptually, is that an aircraft carrier is not like a landing strip where 10,000 feet is exactly where you left it, and it's going to be there as promised when you come back, whenever it is you decide to come back. The ship is always running away and hiding in the worst weather it can find (laughs) to protect itself, and you're on your own to figure out you know, how to get there with your instruments and, and whatnot. And it's moving away from you. And so when you're operating in certain areas around the globe, we only have about six feet of clearance coming aboard the ship to begin with. And Mm -hmm. if you go around the globe in a westerly direction, oftentimes the back end of that aircraft carrier will be up and out of the water 30 to 40 feet. Mm -hmm. And the first time you see the propellers of a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier (laughs) up and out of water, if you are not a person of faith, whatever that faith may be, you will find faith in religion very, very quickly because you're convinced you're going to die. You're looking right into the the So it's pitching up and down 30 feet. It's like the runway's moving up and down 30 feet. Moving away from you. Like a giant earthquake moving away from you. That's right. And you have... How small of a window to land it? Yeah, you have to come in timing-wise within a matter of just a couple of seconds because the deck sequencing. And so, you know, naturally you have to remain calm and the guys on the deck remain calm and sometimes they have to talk in and help you out a little bit and you'll, you know, we try to sound good on the radio, right? Because you don't want anybody to know <laughs> that you're panicked. Right yeah, I'm going to die. Uh, and so, and being out of gas is one of those things on an aircraft carrier that's also or operating around that environment that's quite terrifying. So we call being out of gas, bingo. Bingo. Because who doesn't like bingo, right? I mean, you could get like a Starbucks card. You could get, who knows, right? Something good is going to come from bingo. McDonald's does it every year, right? That's right. That's right. So, uh, and you don't want to sound not cool on the radio. So you'll just click your little microphone and go, hey, 107, Tomcat ball, bingo on the ball. And the guys on the deck go, Roger, 107, keep it coming. And everybody on the deck is like, wait, wait, hold on a second. What? She's out of gas. And then they turn, they're like, I'm going to watch this because they know, because you have 5,000 people on that show. Mm. watching you on a live feed. Mm. So not only do you have the performance pressure of 
you don't want to mess up this landing and you want to also do it very well, but you have 5,000 people who have never done this watching you, grading you. So right. there's a bit of performance. Yeah, right. That's, that, yeah, I, I was in the real estate business. I only had one couple in the house yeah. and I either stunk or I didn't, right? right, right. You got 5,000 people. And in your case, you got 5,000 people because that's the woman. That's pilot. right. And they want to see, are you going to crack? Are you going to, you know, what's going to happen? Is it your night in the barrel? It's fascinating because whether it's being a female in the military or the fighter pilot world or a female in real estate or an executive in business or in working in in another environment that is more male dominated, what my experience has been is that the overwhelming majority of women don't want to be known as a great female IT executive or a great female realtor. Oh, I have this awesome female realtor, right? They just want to be awesome at what they do. So it's interesting that that gets so wrapped into not only who you are, but who you identify yourself as being as well. You know, most white people don't like the idea that there's racism. Mm -hmm. And most men don't like the idea that there's misogyny. But that doesn't mean that both things don't exist. That's right. And so it just happens. So we kind of dove into the middle of the movie here, which is kind of my, (laughs) my style a little bit. But ultimately, let's just talk. You decide you have this dream. Your dad was a flyer. Your brother goes on to school. You don't have a path for you as far as, hey, there's a woman doing that. But you have people you have relationships with. And, and you grow up with somebody and you go, hey, my brother's doing it. I think I could do this. So you start out. But I love in the fact that from day one, there was all these little obstacles and people who just presumed you had no chance. Like we were talking at lunch today, and I was talking about the story, you go and get your eyes checked, right? Your first physical. Right. And the gal goes, ah, well, I guess you're going to have to figure out something else to do. Right. Because apparently you don't have depth perception. Right. Right. Well, and I think whether it was the path I chose or or somebody else's own personal journey, I I think that we have this perception that, again, people that we've seen successful in different fields have it easier, right? Mm -hmm. That they have, they either had an easier time or they were better resourced or there's no way they could be experiencing what I'm feeling like I'm experiencing. And yeah, I can look back over the last 25, 30 years of my life and at no given point in time did I have a two-month period where the shit didn't hit the fan in one way, shape, or form. Wow. Right? And probably there's some way that you could probably identify with that as well. And for me, going through that military path, yes, there were systemically and culturally, there were biases present that it had nothing to do with performance. Mm. It's just that this is not how we do this here. Why would you want to do this? And okay, well, you're really good for a girl, or yes, you're doing well, but still, why would you choose this path? And I think that that too often times we are prone to, as you go through this journey and this journey to high performance, that there are people in your life who either are very close to you and who love you and care for you that'll say, don't think that's a good idea. You're going to be profoundly disappointed. Right. That, you know, don't get your hopes up, honey. That's right. If this doesn't work, it's okay. I'm yeah. sure there's a different path for you. Right. And they say that in a very protective and loving sure. way. But it, meanwhile. but it eats at the essence of who you are and the possibility. Right of who you could become. So let's give examples. Run through in rapid fire. Um, uh, let's give your top 10 people who told you you couldn't, the obstacles you came up against one after the after the other. Just Oh, top in your 10. Journey. Yeah. Wow, that's a short list. Yeah, right, because you had <laughs> dozens, right? Right. So in my first phase of officer training, right out of the gate, I met my drill instructor who was going to be the drill instructor for our class, and we found out very quickly he had never let a female who started with his class 
graduate with his class. All right. That was his badge of honor. That was his badge of honor. He had nice. been there for about three years, and this was his last class before he retired. And by golly, it was not going to happen on his watch. <laughs> and that is clearly the man that stands between you and your dreams, sure. right? This is going to be a 16-week, very, very intense program. And he certainly challenged me but beyond every expectation. There were days that I, quite frankly, have, have not hated very many people, less than I could count on one hand in my life, that he would have fallen into that category. Mm. And yet, you know, when you get a little bit of time and distance between that event and where you are now, I think I've also realized that he was actually in all of those failures and all of those adversities, he was setting me up for success. Mm. Making me realize that it didn't matter how well I did or how well I performed that being at the top of my class was not necessarily always going to be good enough. That there were going to be people who were going to push back. There were still going to be people who doubted you. And if you really want it, or, you know, in my case, if I really wanted it, then you better suck it up and take the good with the bad Mm. and keep going forward in spite of that. So I end up graduating. Then I go through, I start flight school and they still haven't, there's a law in place then that we didn't let women fly in combat. And as it is in, in most industries, there's a bit of a pecking order in, in where you get placed in airplanes. And I knew I wanted to fly fighters. And only the very, very top performers even get that chance to go into that training pipeline. So I just tried to keep my head down and stay very grounded in, I am just going to do the best job I can and perform and let my performance speak for itself. Mm. Because I'm young enough, and in my mind, I'm like, it's just my performance that's going to matter. Nobody will notice that I'm female <laughs> as long sure. as I perform, right? Yeah. right? That's the beauty right. of youth. Yeah. So I, I worked really hard to be a great wingman and share what I know and, and help other students you know, that were in my class and was allowed the opportunity to then go and fly in that jet pipeline. And it takes about two years to become a winged naval aviator when you're in that jet pipeline. Mm-hmm. And I was about six weeks away from earning my wings and things had gone quite well. But there was still all of this resistance, and they hadn't lifted the law yet that prohibited women from flying in combat. So I got called into my commanding officer's office, and there was a whole group of people on speakerphone there, and they proceeded to tell me that since they hadn't lifted that law that prohibits women from flying in combat, there's no room for me anymore in the Navy. So I can either get out, or I can go to a non-flying job, which did I want. Well, obviously I was gutted, and my whole idea behind and you've been through the grind you've been through the boot camps you've been through that's it. right you've done two years of this now. yeah and you're showing up day in and day out yeah. no matter what the pushback is yeah. and it became very clear to me that right then and there it felt as though my performance didn't matter right because none of that was about my performance which is the most maddening thing of all and it's frustrating it's infuriating it's disempowering because mm. you feel like you have no control over mm. what's happening and right. you've done your part yeah so now what so I just said, well, those are two really interesting options. Can I have a little bit of time to think about it? You know, of course, I grumble or mm. like old people do and say, okay. And I went back into this brief with about 50 other male aviators, Marine and Navy aviators. And I'm trying not to cry, right? Because I know it's not going to be yeah. like a nice, graceful little tears trickling down. <laughs> it's going to go straight on, full on, ugly cry, right? <laughs> Animal noises, coming out of your nose. The whole thing. It's not bubbles. It is not going to be pretty. But-
But what you might not know is there's no crying in fighter pilot yeah, world, right? Imagine, yeah. You can't show any vulnerabilities. Sure. So I try to hold it all together. And when I can finally breathe somewhat normally again, I look around this room and I realize that, oh my gosh, the only reason I just had that conversation was that I dared to show up different. Yeah. I dared to show up female. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't okay with that because it had nothing to do with my performance. Right. So I went back into that commanding officer's office, walked in the door and just said, sir, with all due respect, because that's what you do. Sure. I don't want to get out of the Navy and I don't want to go to a non-flying job. We need to find a third way. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not generally how the 22-year-old usually talks to a commanding officer. Yeah, right. I was very respectful, yeah. but... But in the uh, institution of the U.S. The ins- military, that's right. it moves I, like a glacier. Yeah, I was pushing back very directly on the system going, that's not okay. Yeah. So he sent me off and called me back in about a week and a half later with the whole that same group of people on speakerphone and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Assuming you continue to perform and you earn your wings, when you earn your wings, in about a month and a half, we're going to write you orders that keep you here for 18 months as an instructor. So you can teach all the men how to fly and they get to go and live their dream. But what we think will happen is that Congress is going to work really quickly to lift the law that prohibits women from flying. Okay. Right? Because that's what Congress does. Yeah, right. They move really quickly on the important stuff. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. But I'm young enough and I'm hopeful enough and I realize that's the only way I'm going to stay in the game. So it wasn't perfect, but they came up with option three. That's right. Even though, they think about it, a 22-year-old gal is going back to senior military commanders and going, you got to come up with another option. And you, you stood up for yourself. You fought for your value. You fought for your dream. And that looks insurmountable. If right. the U.S. government and the most powerful military in the history of the world says, we're not doing something, that's tough. That's that is tough for tough. most people's obstacles. That is tough. And it's gutting and it takes your breath away and mm. it makes you feel like you're going to collapse and that your world is caving in on mm. you. And yet, what is the other option? That you say, okay, well good enough. And then you go out and and you no longer have a shot at it. So it's, again, this goes back to that having just enough courage to, you know, you can't be courageous 24 hours a day. You need just enough courage in the moments that matter to throw it in there and go for it. Mm. And then, you know, hopefully things will, things will. Because that's the deal. And I think that's huge that you just said, because at the end of the day, it's very easy for people to listen to this and go, well, that's why she needs to be made into a major motion picture. You know, she's female Braveheart. She's this, she's that. You know, what I love to do, the reason this actual show exists is to demystify mm-hmm. successful people. That those of us who've been fortunate enough to have some extraordinary circumstances in our life, it doesn't mean you're superhuman. It doesn't mean that's you're right. ultra extraordinary. It has a lot to do with just showing up, just being faithful and not giving up. Right. And this was a, you know, you just made a commitment. You had resolved, you're going to go do this. You're going to be the best. You're going to work the hardest, that this is your dream. And no matter what, I'm going to pursue that dream. And that resolve, anybody can have that. Right. And I think too often we think, and whether it's fighter pilots or, or successful executives, that, that those people have this magical exoskeleton mm-hmm. and that we're not afraid. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we are. But it's figuring out when you get into these pockets of adversity, you know, whether you have that big lump in your throat, that pit in your stomach, or that verp coming up the back <laughs> of your throat, that you figure out what piece of this can I control? Yeah. What can I control? And you move forward in spite of that. Yeah. You move forward in spite of that fear right. 
and then everything is figure outable. Eleanor Roosevelt, right? Do the thing that we fear the most, and the death of fear is sure. Absolutely. So this continued on. So fast forward then, what happened? You know, we're waiting on the act of Congress. So did you go and train people for 18 months? Right, no. So I was really fortunate. The day that my class ended up selecting, because I, I chose to stay in there and show up, every day, Mm. even though I knew everybody else was going to go out and live their dreams and I was going to be left Left behind, behind. I chose to show up and still try to be a good teammate. And the day that my class was selecting where it was they were going to go was actually the day that the Secretary of Defense lifted the law that prohibited women from flying in, in combat. And because of my performance and where I stood in my class, which was at the top of my class, I got my first choice, which was flying the Navy's uh, preeminent fighter and and the F-14. So it actually, ironically, all looped back to where my original thinking was, I'm just going to work really hard and I'm just going to depend on that my performance will speak for itself to then feeling like gutted because my performance didn't matter. It was only because I was female that in actuality, it's because I was performing so well that it lets somebody else advocate for me and find that third way. So that's where I think when when you feel like everything's lost or you feel like everything is working against you, instead of just chucking it and saying, oh, well, it's never going to work, use that adversity to introduce you to yourself and figure out what it takes to dig deep. We have an all-servant leader meeting we have about once every month, and I'll drop in about every third month and do a a presentation to the staff. And I, I always look at the people's eyes, and we have... You know, even though we're in business 22 years, we've had a lot of new folks join us recently. And I let them know, you know, you're not toiling away in anonymity. You know, we're watching. We're paying attention. And so many people feel like they're, they're doing the right things. They're doing their best. And yeah, I haven't had my break. And I haven't. But at the end of the day, it's that consistency. It's that constancy of effort. That's what wins the day. You know, and so at the end of the day, performance did matter. Absolutely. And it's this idea. And, and again, high performance are across the board. Mm. We'll have had multiple failures and failures of catastrophic, uh, yes. catastrophic resetting. My wife says, Sonny, when you make a mistake, it's a mushroom cloud. That's right. That's, <laughs> go big. Right? Just go big. Exactly. If you're going to make a mistake, just go big. But if you operate ethically and if you stay relentless i am all about and even with my kids you know it doesn't everybody's going to have these dips stick with it stay tenacious stay relentless Mm. if nobody as long as you have a great work ethic and you operate with integrity you cannot be beat you bet and we're going to get to some of that stuff because you got some beautiful elements in your book that i love that are just lock solid super foundational fundamental principles in application that work beautifully. You know, as a San Diegan now, even though I'm a born Irishman, but I'm 32 years in San Diego, and I play golf at Torrey Pines, I, I live in an area in Del Mar that the F-14s flew over every single day. And it's, it is something to behold. And for those that live in areas they don't have the experience, San Diego's a big military town, pro-military town. But to be able to stand on the golf course and have these F-14s a couple of feet apart, the ground is shaken, and just feel that power. And I, I had this buddy of mine, he, he would always go, that's the sound of freedom right there. Just on a personal level, like how 
freaking awesome is it to be sitting in one of those fighter jets? I mean, was it all that you had hoped for? Yeah, for sure. I mean, everything from the speed rush to the power, the complexity of that machine Mm. itself, and also the yin and the yang of it was also very simple in that it was a very true airplane. Mm. That if you tried to force it into doing something that it didn't want to do, it would let you know. So as long as you are paying attention, it would be a good steward of you. But oftentimes I think that, you know, probably the majority of people who had the opportunity to fly those or even fly fighters today would say, if I could do just the fun parts, then I'd totally stand for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. Well, I get that all the time. You know, Brian, I love the speaking. I want to be a speaker just like you. But I don't want to have to do that. But I don't want to have to travel. (laughs) I don't want to stay in every crappy Holiday Inn till Kingdom Come. I don't get stuck in the airport, sleep on the floor. A couple of things real quick, and then I want to ask you a couple of questions straight from the book. Okay. And then we have five questions we've asked every guest that we get. It's just a cool get-to-know-carry piece that we find a lot of commonality in the most successful people we've interviewed. But a couple of things. Uh, I love the idea you have in the book of developing a why-not-me attitude. Mm-hmm. Talk to that a little bit, because I think that could help a lot of folks who are listening. Well, I think, again, this goes back to if, if you don't have that attitude, you're, you're very, very quick to look at all the reasons why you can't be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at the top people in different fields, and, and again, we give them these attributes or these false ideas of, well, they're so successful because they have something we don't. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, at the end of the day, the commonality is that the people who achieve any level of success are the ones who stepped in it and said, I'm going to go for it. Mm. Let's just see what happens. And that instead of looking for all the excuses or thinking, boy, I don't know, what if people, what if people laugh at me? What if they say, well, she's not a good, mm. as good at this as so-and-so? You know, so what? I mean, you, we talk about speaking. I've been on a stage. I've had my heels stuck. I've had the whole system go down behind oh, yeah. me where people turn their phones on and you give the rest of your presentation, no mic, no AV, no anything. Mm-hmm. I've thrown my clicker into the, you know, into the, <laughs> into the audience by accident. And I just said, hey, I'll be taking questions from the floor for the next couple of minutes. Yeah. And some people that right. would stop them in their tracks, right? right. But, but if you keep perspective on this stuff and just go for it and yeah. actually apply yourself, why not you? Yeah. Give yourself the possibility, that, that possibility thinking of instead of all catastrophizing, sure. all of the things that could go wrong, right. what if something goes wrong? Right? It's funny. That phrase is ultimately the Boston Red Sox had the longest drought in sports history in the American League. And the whole almost identity of the Northeast was around we are going to find a way to lose. And you would be at a Red Sox game, and they would have the greatest team in the world, and one bad thing would happen. And everyone that you could, everyone in the field would feel the energy of the audience going, we're going to find a way to screw this up. And finally, what turned it around, they developed a phrase that said, why not us? Yep. Why not us? Why not us? And sure enough, they win the World Series in 2004, and then they win it a couple more times right after that. And so that why not us as a team came down to why not me? And so someone had to be the first F-14 pilot who was a female, why not you? Right, right. And so ultimately get to that question. Because in this show, we do mindset, we do motivation, we also do methodologies. I'm big into people who've been there, done that. I don't interview many authors who just, I wrote a book and that's what I've done. I'm a speaker because I speak. I always want to hear from someone who's been there, done that. You wrote the book after you mm-hmm. had the successful career. You're the speaker now and you do an incredible job. We're excited to have you at our audience and many other events we have lined up for you. But you've been there, done that. And I love in your methodologies, you have three P's. Mm-hmm. Prepare, 
perform, prevail. Just a few minutes on that. I just think that's very, very powerful. Okay, so, and I do as well. And obviously, we worked in the military and, and in the fighter aviation world in an extraordinarily complex environment mm. at high rates of speed and an environment that was very combative, constantly changing, with very little predictability within it. Mm. So we had to have very straightforward processes and frameworks so that we could operate at high rates of speed, understanding what success should look like so that we can be flexible in the way we are going to achieve that success, mm. okay. but also very thoughtful. So the prepare phase is taking that time to do the planning mm. and plan with your team so that everybody has a great situational awareness. Now, you may not do every Everything that everybody offers to you, but they'll at least be involved in understanding why you chose not to go that direction. Because we know that the more you plan and that you plan effectively, which does not mean it needs to take two days, but plan very effectively, you can reduce your execution errors. And this is where people get tangled up because especially once you've become fairly successful, you can tend to get complacent Yes, and you just keep doing yes. what you're doing and you think all we need to do is maintain. Mm. And then you start firefighting and what happens in companies, we celebrate the big saves, right? Ooh, wow. Save that one. Almost lost that one. And then we develop this firefighting culture where for mm. us, we want the execution phase, the doing phase, to be very boring. Right. Prepare in peacetime so you bleed less in war. That's right. right. That's right. So that whole execution phase, we want it to be the performance phase, mm. very boring. Yeah. And that people are able to adjust as necessary on right. our team yeah. because they know what success looks right. like. And then the prevail phase is where we do our debriefing. And the debriefing mm. is how we reduce our time to insight, right? Too often, and in the organizations that I work with, I see people, uh, you know, they've had these great successes, and then they just move on, on to the, the next, next thing. On the next perpetual. Right? That's right. And they're not leveraging those things that made them right. be successful in that evolution, nor are they actually shining a spotlight on the things right. that are holding them back. Right. So what we want to do in that debrief phase is really figure out very quickly what's working and what's not, mm. so that even though our performance today might be good, tomorrow would be a little bit better. Yeah. No, I love that. I yeah. mean, I live it myself, you know, in the speaking business, right? Mm -hmm. You got to put in hundreds of hours of preparation for a one hour talk. For sure. And it's right. that, that idea behind continually learning. Mm -hmm. uh, too often, I think people think, well, I've been to this seminar, or I've read this book, so now I'm good to go and I'm done and I never have to read another book again, <laughs> right? Because I had it. I've yeah. arrived. Yeah. Good luck with that. But as soon as you think you have that feeling that you've arrived or you stop learning, you will backslide so fast you yeah. won't even see it coming. No, I love that. I think we live in a performance-based world, mm -hmm. and I think people don't prepare, and then also people don't do the download. Sometimes the download is the celebration. Right. It's like, we killed it. We need to, sell we need to memorialize this. And I I've had to learn this as a discipline because I'm a perpetual person by nature. And I found out I was burning out people. Mm -hmm. And we were having huge... We had a company... Our business at one stage grew no less than 49% a year for 10 consecutive years. Wow, that's a lot of math. And it, yeah, it's a lot of math. And it's a lot of infrastructure and hundreds yes. of employees yes. and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of square foot of buildings and this and that. But what I had to learn along the way is we need to celebrate the wins. And we also need to do the downloads. And I'll be honest with you, the downloads from the mistakes and the things that didn't go right are so much more valuable. 
than right. even the downloads from, you know, how great were we and how right. did we win, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and that accountability piece can be very challenging. So the way we try to do that, and certainly what I try to impart with the people that I work with, is when you're debriefing, when you're trying to learn, mm. is it's not about who is right it's about what is right. Mm. So that because you want to depersonalize mm, that sure. because otherwise people will sit there, they cross their yeah, arms, right. they don't volunteer Political. stuff. Right. And then we can sit here and we can say, well, we want a really creative organization or you just need to be vulnerable. And as soon as somebody makes a mistake, boom, right. you jackhammer them. <laughs> and then nobody's ever going to volunteer a good yep. idea again, yep. right? Or a yep. crazy idea. So yep. I've done that too. So we want to be able to depersonalize <laughs> that, oh, as have I. Depersonalize it and just remember, okay, keep the main thing the main thing. What yeah. were we trying trying to achieve what can we do better what do we need to not do next time and do we need to change something in our processes that will allow us to be successful quicker love it love it there's more to it the book is called fearless leadership and if you are a leader or an aspiring leader or you run an organization you need to go get that book and you guys have listened to me you rarely hear me endorse a book but that is phenomenal. I've got five rapid fire questions okay. that are just this is just uh, we're going to get to know how you think and a little bit of how you're wired. Number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? The people who tell you you can't and the people who tell you you won't are usually the ones that are most afraid that you will. Whoa. You're going to have to say that again. That was a home run. <laughs> the people who tell you you can't mm. and the people who tell you you won't are usually the ones most afraid that you will. Mm. Now, where'd you get that from? My dad. Dad. God bless dad. What's your dad's name? Bob. Bob. Bob's still with us? He is not. He He's passed not. away eight years ago. Eight years ago? Yeah. That was a wise man. Yeah. So I tried it, and he was a very humble, very yeah. quiet, unassuming, hardworking man. And that has stayed with me. Wow. That's a legacy right there. That, that's yeah. profound. It's always the quiet ones. Yeah, that's served right. this country. How many, how many kids did he have? Two. Two kids. Just myself and my brother. And you doubled up and went with four. I know. We're going to talk about that here. <laughs> Speaker, mom, the four kids, the whole thing. Brilliant. Brilliant. I will remember that quote for a long time. That's brilliant. Okay, what one talent or gift do you wish you possessed that you currently don't? Ooh. Hmm. Okay, so this is going to be a little bit, so this is not on a real deep spiritual level, <laughs> but in my mind, I always wanted to be like Jennifer Garner's character in Alias, like just a badass, like sneaky, <laughs> super smart, like spy girl, but I'm six feet tall, I can't sneak into no, anything, no, but I always, always, like the Jason Bourne movies are some of my favorite yeah, movies, yeah. like figuring stuff out and yeah. being able to strategize really nice. quickly and come in and make the big yeah. save and then get out and nobody yeah. knows you're there. No, the six foot That's tall gal cool. is getting spotted sorry you would be a lousy spy I know, i'm sorry I'd be a terrible spy so Isn't that, that would be my secret hey sort of that's how it works look ballers want to be rappers and rappers want to be ballers that's how it that's is right. tall girls want to be short i have a couple of short girls who would like to be real tall well, they'd be on the u.s olympic volleyball team right now all right what book has been most instrumental in your life Wow, that's a great question i will say that uh recently or in the last five to seven years Chip and Dan Heath wrote a book called Switch. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that they shared in that was a story about a school system that was in a lower developed socioeconomic uh, strata. And they changed the grading system to, instead of D's and F's, to not yet. And I will tell you, as a parent, mm. and just as a mindset perspective, out of everything in that book, the not yet mm. 
has love stuck it. with me. Love it. Because it's, it's okay, so, so it's you're home. not, right, you're, you're kids, right? Yeah. You're, you're not 6'2"? Yeah. Not well, yet. not yet. Right. You keep working, and you can be the best libero. You can be the best this. Right. You just don't have it yet. Yeah. And and again, this goes back to the mindset thing where people mm. say, oh, I'm no good at math, or I could never do mm. that. I'm not yeah. extroverted, or I'm not confident enough. Right. And when you wrap that up with not yet, yeah. it's the hope, sure. and it's the expectation that with work, yeah. You can't get there too. Well, Lou Tice, uh, he, he had the Pacific Institute, yes. did some remarkable work in South Africa, Northern Ireland, all kinds of places. And he would turn around whole cultures with, up till now, but from now on. Yes, which exactly. Is, his was an affirmation that switch then built into a beautiful thing with not yet. So yes, that's I love great. that. So similar. Okay. I think I know the answer to this, but anyway, your favorite song, your jam, the kids are in the car, oh, mom's got it on again. So what's the one song or artist or that just, uh, that's what gets you going? Ah, ACDC Back in Black. Nice. Every time. Obviously, because that's the intro music we've got dreamed up for you for this afternoon. So, <laughs> ACDC, yeah. can't go wrong with that. Yeah. We, do, uh, we do an event every year called Mastermind, and we have a, a Thunderstruck is, uh, yeah. is the theme. And for people, sure. Can't beat it. No, it's old can't school. It. It's great. Yep. It's solid. Yeah. Nice. Okay. You're flicking through the channels. You don't get time to do this very often, but there's a movie that comes on. You just watch this one movie over and over again. You, you can never pass it up. What's the one movie... That you just watch over and over again. Okay, outside of Top Gun, which I've seen an illegal number of times. They should probably start paying me royalties for how often I've watched that. Honest to Pete, any Jason Bourne movie. Come on. Honest to Pete. I just, there's something about, yeah. again, that trying to figure things out. He yeah. he tries to maintain relationships in really bad situations. Yeah. I love the Jason Bourne Well, series. also, doesn't it connect with you? He is relentless. He is the guy that's been told he can't be a fighter pilot, too, from everyone, from organizations, from Everybody. government, from this and that and the other. Yes. So. And he's always told he's not good enough. And then yeah. when they, and sorry, I'm going to wreck this if anybody hasn't seen all the movies, <laughs> but when he's brought back in and they say, you were the perfect target because he wasn't confident, he was a broken man, so mm. they tried to groom him. I don't know. I just, I can watch that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's good stuff. Well, let me share this with you. We've had a short amount of time together. I love your energy. I love your spirit. I love your message. I love what you're doing for our audience and the audience here today. But I also am very, very excited for what the future holds because I think there's an awful lot of people in need of what you bring to the table. Thank you. And that you are a been there, done that woman. You're a hell of a, a pilot, a hell of a person, a great speaker, and a great author. An author who actually wrote her own book. There's only a few of us left, Carrie. You know, I've met some of these guys. They've never even read the books. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's great stuff. So Thank thanks you. for being our guest here today. I, I hope everyone listening, you enjoyed today's show. Please uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We love to hear your feedback. You guys know we don't do sponsors. We don't do commercials. Our goal with this show is to positively influence as many people as we can. And all we ask of you is to share it with your friends. So if you know somebody who would greatly appreciate a word of encouragement uh, from Carrie Lorenz today, why don't you pass this message on to them and have them download and listen to it for free. So as I finish here today, I leave you with the words that my grandfather gave to me. Carrie got her words from her dad. And he used to say, may the roads rise up to meet you and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. We'll see you next time.